listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, the PuttCast. Putt is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the PuttCast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the PuttCast. This is Monique Whitney. I'm the Executive Director of Putt, Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. And with me today is my fellow co-host, Putt's Vice President, Lauren Young. Hey, Lauren. Hi, good afternoon. I am so glad that you're here today. We're going to have such a a fun time with our guest. I'm super, super excited. Uh, But before we get started, I'm so happy to announce that today's podcast is sponsored by our friends at DataScan Pharmacy Software. Um, Lauren, you remember last month, we had the pleasure of talking with Kevin Manassian and Sarah Calioris from DataScan, and I was really struck by their commitment to seeing the independent pharmacy industry succeed. I mean, they seem really dedicated. I appreciated the fact that they really wanted to bring in the independent pharmacy struggles and show how their other clients were able to succeed with DataScan and really show that. And Sarah and Kevin were both committed to connecting people and using them as a resource in their network. Yeah, it was really something. I mean, I you think like pharmacy software, that couldn't possibly be interesting. And yet it turned out to be a totally interesting and really engaging podcast. I'm so ready to have them come back on. It'll be a lot of fun. But anyway, um, it was fun. We were really happy to have the time with Kevin and Sarah, we want to make a shout out to them and say thank you for being our first ever sponsor on the podcast. We were so thrilled about that. And kind of moving into our topic, Lauren, we all know you as the super fan of legislative sessions. You seem to always know what is happening in that window of time between January and June when every state has, you know, some session going on. And when we want to know something, you are the person that we go to. You follow the hearings and you just seem to know all about that. How do you do that? I do not know. (laughs) Just when you think pharmacy can't get any more nerdy, you bring in the legislative expert in pharmacy. So that's really where I uh, tend to have my wheelhouse. So I'm not the organic chemistry mindset. I am much more of the uh, committee hearings and legislative sessions. And I really do it because I think the best defense is a good offense. And so I really want to see what PCMA says in other states, whether they're red or blue, and see how we can best break them down and get in front of those lies. And that's really where I want our PUT members to have a resource in me and the rest of the board and try to figure out what steps they're taking because we know that just whenever you think you head them off with one bill, they have another secret one waiting in the wings to try to roll that back as we've seen. So that's, that's really where I try to come in. Yeah. We're all collectively rolling our eyes right now because that is so true. 
And, you know, I, I think that a common misperception out there is that when a state legislature or even even, you know, Congress at the federal level, when they're in session, like this is where all the magic happens. And you and I have talked quite a bit about this, about, you know, how do the organizations who really get the job done? How do they do that? Right. We sort of named this as the, the second season in the cycle. If you have legislative season, you know, it's the first part of the year, then this would be education season. I totally agree. And I think that a lot of our members have really stepped up in their advocacy. They have been meeting with their legislators. And I know this year there have been new faces in a lot of state legislatures and also across the country. So they've had to go in and explain to some of those freshmen, not really what a PBM is, but why are PBMs bad for their constituents? That's really what you, whenever you are talking as an owner to your legislator, you are telling them why it's bad for the other people that you serve in your community and they serve as the legislator. Because they really don't care that PBMs are hurting our bottom line. They don't. They think that we are business owners and sometimes business owners don't make the best decision. And they think that sometimes, especially small business owners, it's hard to fight against Goliath. And so I think that's really where we try to help boost our members and say, okay, this is what your legislators are really looking for. They want to know why it's important to them. One person mm -hmm. having an issue is a bummer, but it's not a problem for a legislator. We had a legislator tell us one time it takes three different people with very similar or the same issue for them to realize it's not a coincidence. It's not a one-off. We're not cherry picking to be mean against any of the big box pharmacies. This is really an issue that they need to be aware of. So whenever we heard the magic number of three, a lot of the people in putt heard that and were like, three, we can name you three before noon that come in that we're losing money on or there's an issue with. So what can we do to get these people in front of the legislators? So really we're just the conduit to try to facilitate that because we see day in and day out those issues and some patients are still afraid to talk to people about what the issue is. They come to us as pharmacists because we're trusted and we're really who they want to have champion this cause. And what's so great about what you're saying is that, mm -hmm. you know, for everybody who's listening, today's guest, one of the reasons we're so excited to have him here is because his organization is so good at outreach and so creative and so powerful and their cause uh, we all we all know it. We all recognize it. These guys singly never allow it to become part of the wallpaper of conversation as far as issues go. And so uh, it is my very, very great pleasure, John Farina, to welcome you to the podcast for everyone. John is the, I'm going to get your title wrong, social media director? Associate associate director of advocacy. And I handle social media uh, as part of that. I must have thought social media because part of what you do is so incredible on social media. So John's with the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Uh, we are so happy to have you. And although, you know, so many of us are familiar with the, or think we are anyway, familiar with the types of issues you deal with, just, it would be so wonderful for you to tell us a little bit about you, tell us about your organization, um, just kind of give us a, some background about who you're reaching out to and, and, and why. Sure. Uh, you know, real quick about me is I've been working in some form of advocacy 
at some point in my career, I've always been doing something advocacy related. And then um, I, whether as a volunteer or as a board member, uh, things like that. And then I joined the AIDS Task Force of Greater Cleveland in 1999 uh, as the director of public policy. Um, I was the only fully funded and full-time HIV AIDS lobbyist in the state of Ohio. And then that kind of started a kind of path of working in HIV AIDS related advocacy, LGBTQ advocacy, stuff like that. Also worked in the arts. Uh, so anyway, so I've done a lot of work. And right now I I, uh, uh, I landed at, at AIDS Healthcare Foundation as part of their advocacy team. And then recently uh, we made social media a really key part of that. Uh, and that was really a result of what happened with COVID. And we all had to kind of go underground and hide in our homes and we couldn't knock on congressional staff's door doors. We couldn't go to their district offices. We couldn't go anywhere. So we needed to do something else. And we we started started to create uh, Twitter storms for us. Uh, and some of them we did very creatively, where we had people make videos with signs and talking about what, you know, they held, held a sign that said people before profit. And we uh, tagged members of Congress and members of state legislatures and so on and so forth. So, uh, so yeah, so that's that's kind of, a very short version of me. And then, you know, the AIDS Healthcare Foundation is over 35 years old, 30, I think we're 38 years old. And we have, um, we are the largest uh, provider of HIV AIDS services in the country. And I believe we also are in the world. That's a non-governmental agency. So uh, we have 1.7 or so million people in care around the world uh, in about 45 countries, uh, in the United States, we're in about 15 states and, and Puerto Rico and DC. Our mission is, includes the word advocacy. Uh, it's cutting edge advocacy in healthcare, regardless of ability to pay. That's it. And that's our mission. And that's what we do. And, uh, we focus a lot on advocacy and not just on the traditional things that HIV organizations focus on, like, uh, uh, testing policy or budgets or things like that. You know, we kind of get into the nitty gritty of things that really affect how our organizations do business. Uh, so we focus a lot on 340B, for example. Uh, PBMs are a big part of uh, what we do. We have pharmacies in those 15 states and two territories. So um, that's 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 a big, that's how we run our business. You know, we, it's, the pharmacy is very important to us. And uh, our continuum of care when we get somebody in from a test all the way to, to, you know, taking care of them through things like case management and in the clinic and having their doctor, you know, pharmacy is a part of that continuum. So uh, what happens in the pharmacy world is very important to us. Well, I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. Lauren, I'm going to let you ask the, the next question. <laughs> There's a, we have like so many questions for you. We'll, we'll be alternating probably back and forth on these, but um, well, you, how big is your like, volunteer group or the the when you're out there doing some of the things you're doing you this is a pretty sizable group of volunteers and also you said you don't just do traditional kind of advocacy are you also doing educating of other types of publics are you you know trying to get people into i mean is there still a need to destigmify hiv and aids sure absolutely so uh there's several layers to our advocacy program. So we have the standard things that a lot of organizations have, like contract lobbyists that work in Washington and, and do their thing there. We have an advocacy office in Washington with a director of advocacy and a policy analyst. Um, we So we, we have that traditional part of policy, right, that a big organization has. And then uh, 
we have a mobilization team. There's about uh, 28 of them around the country. Uh, these are these are people who are contract employees with us. They work in a specific city to do advocacy for us as well as other outreach. And so they'll do things like sponsor events around International Condom Day. And uh, we'll do events around Martin Luther King Day and World AIDS Day and stuff like that, which are opportunities to raise awareness. But they'll also um, do advocacy. So when we want to reach those members of Congress, those are they're a link to that member of Congress in that in that district, either they're a link to their US senators. Um, we encourage all of our mobilizers and we teach them to uh, all the different tools that they can have in working with their member of Congress. So you know, sign up for their newsletter, go to their town halls, get to their district office, get to know the staff, uh, try to get a meeting with them. And we work with them to do those things. And then when they go in, we've trained them to be prepared to talk about all these issues that are important to us. Uh, and so they're ready to go and ready to fire off about PBMs or whatever it is we've got, we're, we're sending them in for that purpose. So they're all over the country. Uh, and then of course we have our social media, which we, uh, you know, we do largely on Twitter, our advocacy, uh, uh, social media advocacy. Uh, we also have TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and that, but you know, like our, our advocacy is really focused a lot on Twitter, which is kind of, even though Elon is intent on destroying it, um, that's still where the politicians are. That's still where the, the kind of policy wonks are. Uh, so that's where we, that's where we remain. Um, and then, you know, we do a lot of other things, you know, we buy ads in certain cities if there's an issue that we want to tackle. We, we've bought ads attacking Scott Peters in, in California or uh, Troy Bouchon in Indiana for their positions against 340B or against, you know, working with, you know, working with PBMs or things like that. So we, you know, we've done those kinds of things, newspaper ads, TV ads. And then of course, our, we're very well known for our protests. So at any given time, we might show up with, it could be as few as 15 or 20 people. Uh, in some instances, we've shown up with 200 people. Uh, when we did Disney protests at Disney around Don't Say Gay, when they before they actually got on board and, and were against Don't Say Gay, they were quiet or sort of for it. And uh, we had uh, about four or 500 protesters in uh, California and Orlando uh, protesting at them. And that got their attention. So our protests are pretty noteworthy. We're very organized. We fly in, we get it, get our thing done, and we're, we're out. We have a whole system with signs and chants. We do some theatrical stuff. Uh, lately, we've been doing things in front of Gilead headquarters with some uh, some of our people dressed as pigs because uh, Gilead is greedy. We go after Gilead is to, uh, a lot and other pharmaceutical companies. So we, you know, we were just recently out at Signum and we protested at a lot of their, uh, their offices. I loved the evil scoundrels Inc. sign that you oh, had yes. at the Cigna protest for ESI. That was yeah, we, wonderful. We have some, we have some really brilliant designers on our team that work in our marketing department and you know, Michael Weinstein, our CEO, a lot of those things come right from his head. He'll sit there in a call with us and he'll go, they're such evil scoundrels, evil scoundrels, express scripts, boom. They'll, they'll turn it into a logo and it'll be brilliant. Uh, Sigreed, like instead of Cigna, it's Sigreed. Uh, we had uh, uh, Corporate Vampires Suck was uh, one of our CVS uh, monikers. 
Um, so yeah, so we have a lot of those. everyone in the independent pharmacy world. I we I think there were tens of thousands of patients that jumped on that. It wasn't just, I think that's kind of what was the tipping point for a lot of people in our industry that realized that you guys were an ally to help pharmacy right. and not just a, a patient advocacy organization. They were able to see outside of just the four walls of the pharmacy and say, okay, we have very similar patients. This should be working for us. And every, I mean, I think we saw that shared uh, no less than 10,000 times. It was amazing. Yeah, that was a really popular campaign. And, and uh, you know, we, we bought ads in the bus bus stations and, and subway stations and stuff like that in DC and in New York. And, you know, uh, you know, w- one of the things uh, that corporations don't like is when you mess with their brand. And so we know it gets under their skin when we do greedy ad as in, in their logo. And, and, you know, we target CEO pay in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, drugs are expensive and they're doing stock buybacks and they're paying CEOs $30 million a year and so on and so forth. And then these PBMs are in between sucking more money out of things. And so by the time you get to the consumer, you know, we're spending a fortune on drugs when we don't have to, you know, we, we, we just we simply don't have to be doing it that way, and we're the only country in the world that does it this way. So, uh, and recently we just sent out our appreciation to Senator Sanders' uh, report from the Health Committee that went after pharmaceutical companies for using uh, public research to make money. So it's public research that makes, creates the drugs, and private greed is what they make the money. So like they we develop it in colleges and universities and at NIH and places like that. And the pharmaceutical companies take those patents and then they run with them and sell the drugs for a thousand dollars a pill or you know ten thousand dollars a dose mm-hmm. or some other astronomically stupid amount of money. So yeah, so we we hit everywhere we can. So we partner with other patient groups here at Putt, and I know that legislators really have started to understand more the insulin debate. So in your industry in the AIDS sphere. Are you seeing that you have to educate a lot of legislators about some of those pricing differentials? Because I think every legislator has now said, you know, the patent for insulin was sold for a dollar a hundred years ago, and they just beat that into every hearing that we're in. And so is there a point or an educational piece that you guys have been able to use with legislators to get them to understand either the cost disparity for your patients, for your clients, that they're able to see why it's such a big deal, these life-saving drugs they're unable to get? Or what, what do you see whenever you guys are meeting with legislators? Um, I mean, like I said, we cover a lot of ground with them. You know, when it comes to educating them about HIV meds, I don't think they realize how expensive they are. Um, you know, it, it, it's my meds as personally, I take HIV meds, you know, one pill a day. It's all great, you know, like instead of what it was years ago, but still $4,000 a month. I'm lucky to have really good insurance. Uh, and so I don't pay anything for it, but still, I'm lucky, right? So not a lot of people have that ability and our pharmacies provide those medications for a lot of people. And, you know, we're able to do that because of the 340B money that we are able to save from the discounts that the drug companies give us. Without these medications, people won't 
be as healthy and they won't live. And then, you know, and one of the things I remember, you know, in, in whether, you know, whether it was here or when I was back at the task force as a lobbyist, like if you don't fund the medications, if you don't take care of people now, you're going to pay for them later. So pick mm -hmm. your poison, you know, pay for a pill now or pay for my hospital care later, right? Which is going to be mm -hmm. a lot more expensive and a lot harder to keep me alive. So right. you might as well just catch it on the front end. Unfortunately, legislators legislators don't always understand the let's put a uh, a fence at the top of the cliff instead of a hospital at the bottom, you know. Uh, so that kind of mindset is sometimes lost. So so yeah, we talk a lot about the cost of the drugs. We one of the reasons why we go after Gilead so much is because you know they've held HIV they held they hold the largest amount of HIV drug patents. They're the they're the largest provider of HIV drugs. They have all different versions of them and. And, you know, that's great. They also charge a fortune for it and they don't need to, you know, and again, they they keep seeing those increased profits. And so we, we kind of harp on that a little bit as, as to why this is important to talk about. And it costs the government more money because they have to buy these drugs too. You know, Medicaid has to buy these drugs. Uh, drug assistance programs in different states have to buy these drugs. So it costs money all across the board. So why not put the pressure on the companies that can afford to make a difference? Absolutely. And I we, one of my pharmacies, we own three. One of our pharmacies is, is a 340B pharmacy. We work with a federally qualified health center here in town. And so we have a clinic inside that location. And I know that uh, there are states across the country who've had legislation pending and legislators tend to think that you can either support the 340B group or you can support your independent pharmacy. And that is not the case. We can actually be, we work together. And I know that there's a lot of hospital associations that have 340B clinics associated with them. And so we get asked a lot that, you know, are you on the hospital side, the 340B side or the pharmacy side? And it's, we're trying to help the patient. We're trying to keep that blank check from leaving the state and going into the PBM pockets. So I think that's probably one of the most things we want to make clear that it's not an either or situation here. And and, and I don't see, I, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but 340B in and of itself as a program really doesn't impact an independent pharmacy that operates outside of that, that spectrum, right? So there's no reason why there should be any issue with it. But of course, pharma is very good with messaging and they have a lot of money to spend and they throw it around and they influence things by saying, you know, well, they, they get this group and they wedge in there and they push, you know, and so that's impacted things in some states where pharmacy groups have challenged certain things, you know, and and um, where they have we haven't all worked together. The bottom line is, like you said, it's all about the patient. It's all about patient care. It's all about good health care. It's all about making sure that we're keeping people healthy and alive and making sure they get whatever they need to do that, whether it's medications or or clinic visits or health, any kind of health care, pharmacy benefit managers stand and quietly stand in the way of that. Because now most people don't even realize they're there. When I explain this to people and I explain to people how the company that owns the pharmacy benefit manager owns the pharmacy and owns the insurance company, how is that allowed? Well, you know, how is that allowed? You know, how is it that CVS can do all those three of those things on top, you know, what is it, vertical, you know, integrated on top of them all, one on top of the other, and get away with it and make boatloads of cash um, at our expense, you know, at, at, at a patient's expense. Absolutely. Yeah, I love really. the campaign you guys did in DC where it said, you know, how are pharmacy benefit managers so rich? 
and that, you know, the bus campaign everyone saw and saw it and they're like, oh, how are they so rich? You know, patients aren't getting rich. Pharmacies aren't getting rich. The only people that are are the executives. We've called them pharmacy benefit manipulators. Uh, That's been one of our campaigns too. Um, And um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate that they exist. John, I have a question for you about the energy that you and the AIDS Healthcare Foundation exude in what you're doing. It's uh, this is a, a hard fight. I've been in this for seven years. Lauren was more or less born into this as a second generation pharmacy <laughs> owner. And, you know, when I first started just trying to get my head around, it was, was so hard Then I had that breakthrough moment. And then, you know, cause like, like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right. And then I went charging full steam ahead because it's wrong. The, the vertical integration you just talked about is wrong. The middlemen, the characters, the bad actors, all the things they're doing, it's just wrong. You guys have been doing this for a long time. And I'm just curious, how do you maintain your energy? How do you keep your volunteers and your your people so engaged? Because they really are engaged. It's it's inspiring. It's uh, There's a little bit, for me, you know, I, I laugh at it. It's a little bit of schadenfreude, like watching you guys do what you do. I'm like, ha ha, CVS, you deserve that, you know, or 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 what do you call it? Evil Scoundrels Inc., right? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you maintain that energy, that fire that you have? I mean, I, I think it's just a matter of we know we're on the right side of the we're on the good side of the fight. So, and you know, we're big enough and strong enough and and tough enough to be able to put up with whatever comes back at us. Um, you know, we we're we're strong enough as an organization that we don't have to worry about what somebody else says about us. We don't, you know, our goal is to take care of our patients and to make sure they get quality health care. And if we have to take on pharmacy benefit managers to ensure that that's the case, then that's what we're going to do. And we're going to continue to do it on and on and on and on and on until we win the fight uh, because it's the right thing to do. And that's really what we've been built on all along. You know, uh, we were founded as the AIDS hospice organization because back at that time, people were kicked out of homes and kicked out of hospitals, had nowhere to go, and they were dying. You know, like people when, you know, AIDS was a death sentence 35 years ago. So we stepped up to do that and and take care of those people. And, and that's what, you know, we built ourselves on again. And that was because that was the right thing to do. We needed it needed to happen. And so we did it. And I think just we're built on that advocacy uh, we have leadership that is passionate about that advocacy. Our, our CEO guides us in that advocacy and that passion. So, and we have a lot of great people on our team, um, and we're there to kind of support each other and work with each other. And when you know one part is feeling a little worn down, somebody else is there to kind of push them back up. And and you know we work together really well. So I just think we're motivated by the fact that we're doing what needs to be done and. Uh, we're in the position to do it and do it well, and we have to do it. And there's really not an option to kind of lay lay down and not do it. And of course, it's also a good business decision for us because this protects our business. You know, we, we're protecting our pharmacy, which protects our business, which protects our ability to do what we do. And you guys aren't afraid to call out what's happening. Sometimes whenever you're going up against Goliath, even though you are a national organization, sometimes it's a little intimidating to go up against one company who owns or three companies that own 80% of the market. And Mm -hmm. so whenever they actually have your members lives in their hands. And so, you know, 
some owners are nervous that if they speak out, then that can retaliate against them as an owner of their business that puts, you know, pressure on some of their employees and their patients and things like that. But I think now, especially with the social media that we're seeing right now in this day and age, like you mentioned, Twitter being really a storm and really where things are getting done when, when there's an issue that people are passionate about, a, a positive issue that people are passionate about, and they come together on Twitter, real change can happen. And so I think that you, your CEO, the whole group wanting to take on this fight and saying, we can't be silent anymore because our patients won't be able to survive. Right. And, and, you know, there are much like you're saying about pharmacies, you know, there are organizations within the HIV AIDS sphere that are smaller and that rely on contributions from uh, some of these big companies and they, you know, they, they sponsor their events. And so they kind of, you know, grab them in and they hold on to them and they say, okay, you, you know, but so if you say something bad, then they drop it. And then like, well, I can't lose that $25,000 or I can't let that $50,000 go. Or in some cases with Gilead, there were much larger contributions. And then they did kind of lure organizations in and then dropped it when they didn't need them anymore. So yeah, so we have the same kind of thing where we, where we can stand up and say that we don't have anything to lose per se. But, you know, a smaller organization in Florida or New York or what have you might might not be able to step up and do that. So whenever the AIDS Healthcare Foundation won their landmark suit against CBS, did you also make them name a boardroom after your CEO or what did you guys do for that? I, I am not uh, privy to all the details of that, so I, I don't really know what we made them do um, other than give us money. So um, That they didn't earn. You guys helped right. take back mm-hmm. money that really was not theirs. That was amazing. Right. So, so yeah, so it was, uh, it was a great thing, and but what they did in the, what, what, what happened in those closed rooms, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it was, it was really heroic. And there were tens of thousands of people giving you a standing ovation for days over that, which is also something that I think is really notable about the kind of work you guys do, because you do, you're you're so creative. I mean, we were just talking about your ads and and how memorable they are, but also just the things you do. There's you're just amazingly creative that way. I'm curious. How do you come up with the ideas? I mean, what what is a typical day like at the AIDS Healthcare Foundation with advocacy? Do you have a group meeting? It's like, I had this brilliant idea last night. Let's do this. Or do you plan for weeks? Tell us a little bit. Give us a little bit of a what it looks like behind the magic there. Sure. I mean, I guess it depends on the on the campaign, you know. So like I said, Michael's very involved. Michael Weinstein, our CEO, is very involved in a lot of these things. And he will bring a lot of these things to the fore and say, okay, we need to do something about this. And, you know, we've got people in marketing and 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 creative, and we've got comms people, and we have advocacy people, we have our mobilization team. And, you know, we see what pieces we need to put together. Um, and then we put those people now in a, in a Zoom meeting as opposed to a conference room. But, uh, I'm old enough to say that we used to put those people in a conference room. You know, we we figure out what we need to do and we throw some ideas out there. Uh, sometimes it's a, it's just a set thing. Like, okay, this is what's going to work. This is what worked before when we did something just like this. We're going to do it again. Other times we do have to get creative and we have to figure out what are we going to do. And, and that's just really, again, it comes from the richness of the team and the, the varied backgrounds of the people that that work on our team. And, and we figure it out. 
you know, uh, like I said, our marketing and, and design people, and they're really creative. And so, when, you know, when we come up with these ideas, they they do those graphics and they look awesome. And and then our mobilization team carries those things out to the to the world with on signs and in in other ways. And I put them out through social media and we have websites that we do them on. So it's just it's layers of things that depends on what we're doing and, and what is necessary to make those things happen. So, uh, and we have fun with it and, you know, we, we laugh a lot. I think that keeps us going as well as, you know, this is, this is the kind of work that you can get really beat up and worn down by. And some people have been working in HIV AIDS for 40 years. And so you've seen a lot of things. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we also, we do a lot of, uh, caution around self-care and you know we like I said we laugh a lot we take care of each other so we've talked a lot about what are some of the successful things that AIDS Healthcare Foundation has done is there any advice you can give to our listeners on things that you found did not work in advocacy I know in the pharmacy world like I mentioned some legislators immediately think that we're just whiny small business owners if we go in and talk about you know the profits that are being stolen from us through DIR fees and things like that. So we've really geared our educational pieces more on being patient centric. I can't say that there's anything that's been drastically unsuccessful like I I I it's easier to say what you should do which is you know um uh, obviously know your issue in a way that you can explain it in, you know, what, what they used to say as an elevator speech. Now, sometimes they'll say like, if you can put it in a text message, that's, you know, so a short uh, soundbite type of message, PBMs are hard to explain that way, which that's, that is a big challenge is just, if you're going to start the conversation about BBMs, you better be prepared to answer questions. Uh, and if you're not, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Um, so that will derail your advocacy. If you, say PBMs are bad. And then they go, well, why? And and they take money. Well, what, what does that mean? Like, you know, and then you get lost in something. And I've seen some of our people get lost in, in a, in a, in a trap, you know, and because you don't know, you don't know how to answer the question, you're going to get lost. So, and PBMs are tough to just easily explain, you know, some of other issues are very easy to say this, what well, this is, what it is, and this is what it does. And this is why it's good. Um, EBMs are confusing. I mean, it's confusing to a lot of us. So, so I think, yeah, just know enough and then um, get to know who your congressional people are and your state people, know their staff. Uh, you know, I, I always remind people that, you know, you're not going to get to talk to the legislator right off the bat. Um, you may never talk to the legislator. Uh, in some cases, you may never see them. Um, you need to know you better know the receptionist in the office and you better be nice to them. Uh, in Ohio, every floor in the Ohio State House has a receptionist for that floor. So you better, you know, I when I was a lobbyist there, I would bring cookies and lunch. And, you know, you just they were my best friends because they're the ones that when when there's 10 people waiting to get in to see somebody and they're like, John, come over here, you know, and then they they send me in um, because they like me and they, I like, you know, so that, you know, develop a good rapport with the people who get the job done. And that's usually administrative people and, and staff people. They're the ones that are going to get your message in front of the legislator. Uh, they're the ones that are going to help make a difference in how, whether or not you're seen or heard. And then, you know, the more people you can bring on board with you, the better, you know, so if it's your patients, patient stories are important. Telling those stories is important. So instead of telling the story of, 
I'm losing money because PBMs are shitty to me. Um, it's this is the patient that is, you know, here's Mary Jones. She's served by this and let her tell her story. You know, I go to my local pharmacy, my pharmacy takes care of me, so on and so forth. Um, I tell the story about how, you know, for me personally, again, I'm I'm very privileged, you know. I've got a good job and income and insurance and all that. But, you know, my pharmacist is somebody I can count on. And I go to my AHF pharmacy. She knows me. Uh, the team in that office knows me. When something's not right, they they notice it. Um, they take care of things. They'll call my doctor for me. They'll, you know, help me find a solution if there's an you know, insurance company says, no, you can't have that, you know, because they're, they know more than the doctor does. They'll intervene and figure out how do we find a solution. Maybe this will work. And they'll they'll work it out. And Express Scripts person on the other end of the 800 number, they're not going to do that. Um, they're reading from a manual and they're figuring, they don't even, you know, the, oh, I have to get a supervisor or no, I can't do that. And, oh, push one for this and push this for that. And, you'll, you know, you, you'll never get anywhere. And most people give up and, and that's what they count on. So the folks in independent pharmacies like yours and the folks at nonprofit pharmacies like ours, we take care of our clients and we know them and they, you know, we care about them. You know, we care about what happens to them. And that makes all the difference in the world in keeping somebody on a medication regimen, you know, especially with HIV, it's really tough. Um, and especially some of the, the poverty that we deal with is it's hard to keep somebody on a regimen. You know, you gotta take that pill every day. You can miss a day or two, but you still gotta take that pill every day. And, you know, you can't miss that. So if you, if your mail order comes to the house and your roommate takes it and hides it from you because they're mad at you or, or, you know, you don't want your roommates to know you have, or your mom and dad to know you have a, like, you don't want mail order. That's stupid. Like it's bad. Like it's not good for everybody. You know, it's fine for me, but my husband knows like that's no big deal in my house, but in a lot of houses, it's a big deal. Um, and it doesn't even have to be HIV. It could be any, chronic illness or anything you're getting medication for, you know, they don't want people to know what my business is. So mail order is not the right answer. And uh, that's why our local pharmacies are so important. And that's where our neighborhood pharmacies are so important. You know, and I feel bad for some of the pharmacists in the corporate pharmacy world, because some of them personally do care and they are just stuck in a corporate system. You know, there's that, uh, you know, pharmacist at a CVS or a Walgreens that personally cares, but they can't do much because they're stuck in the, we have to make a profit. And if I spend more than two minutes with you, we're losing money and I'm not getting X number of prescriptions filled and, and so on. And so that's why they talk to you while they're up in that little high box going through the prescriptions. And they, they talk down, you know, you're at the counter and they yell across because they don't, they don't want to leave from their little pill uh, slider thing where they're putting pills in bottles because they can't stop. Absolutely. 100% correct. If we at the independent pharmacy level had to treat everyone like a number or part of a quota that we had to reach, then this would be a completely different argument. But we are held, we hold ourselves to different standards and we want our patients to know that they do have a choice in most places, choice to come to us. We want them to feel that we appreciate the time they take to come get their medications filled with us. And so we want them to leave as feeling like they're more than a number in our system. Yeah. I mean, after all this experience, uh, you know, whatever I move on to from here, 
I'll, if I can avoid it, I will never go to a big corporate pharmacy again. Like AHF is the biggest pharmacy I ever want to go to. Like, you know, that, that that's as close to a corporate pharmacy as I want to be at, you know, I hope I'm in a community where I can find, you know, the independent pharmacist who owns four or five shops in the area or whatever, and go there. Cause I'd rather, uh, I, I don't want to ever do with, deal with a corporation like that again. Whenever I'm, you know, trying to explain to people what I do. And as you pointed out, it's not easy to explain this work that we do. If nothing else, I will tell them, if you take nothing else from this conversation, CVS is bad and evil and don't use them. And then I just leave it at that. So nothing else, you know, relate to that giant corporate pharmacy. Although I will say, I feel sorry for the people who work there because they certainly aren't the ones who are, you know, behind the scenes creating all the chaos that is being created. So John, this is such a good conversation. And I, I really hope that we can continue it. One of the things that we're super excited about is we're going to be having the Putt Political Summit later this summer. We took a year off last year. Uh, we are so happy that you and AIDS Healthcare Foundation are going to be our keynote at the event. We're looking forward to having you. Yes, we're, we're excited. I have to figure out who will be the best keynoter from our organization. But yeah, we'll, we'll... <laughs> It'll be, I, it, it will be so so great. So many people are are appreciative and fascinated and entertained by the work that you do. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that you guys make it fun. And I'm happy to hear that there's really team involvement there because it's hard when you feel like it's you in your community or however that is. Um, there's a lot of us out here and we are working very hard. We are all fighting together. We are all on the side of right. And it can be easy to get myopic about it. You guys remind us that we're not alone and we appreciate you so much for that. Absolutely. We're all partners in the in the battle. We're all in the same army. Yes, yes, we are. All right, so we're wrapping up. So I just, John, again, thank you so much. And thank you to the AIDS Healthcare Foundation for all of the work that you are doing for all of us. Um, Lauren, I'm gonna let you close us out, but before we do, I just wanna say a special thank you to our podcast sponsor, once again, DataScan Pharmacy Software. We love them because they are in, an independent business fighting for the rights of their customers who happen to be independent pharmacies. So for anyone who is listening, if you would like to know more about DataScan, please check them out at datascanpharmacy.com and be sure to listen to our interview with them during last month's episode. That episode is called Strength in Unity. Lauren, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Well, John, again, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for everyone for listening today. We love to hear feedback from listeners. You can find us at, at TruthRx on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can always submit any of your recommendations through truthrx.org. And you can follow along on our podcast. You can go and see past episodes at truthrx.org slash podcast. We'll see you next time. Have a great, safe rest of your week.